0: Hey everybody, this is SoHeidi and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts. And this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, Launch your own label or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode two of the Successful Fashion Designer podcast, and today I'm chatting with Melissa Mendez. After experiencing what she thought was a heart attack while working in the corporate fashion world for over 10 years, she realized she needed to make a big life change. Over two years ago, Melissa started freelancing and built her own design agency. In this interview, she shares how she used her industry network and cold email pitches to get new clients, including a $15,000 contract from just one email. She also shares with us the exact email formula she uses to do this. Before we jump into the interview, I want to remind you of the free templates, tutorials, and resources I've created to help designers like you get ahead in fashion. You can find all of them on the Successful Fashion Designer Network at sfdnetwork.com slash free. To access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com slash two. Now on to the interview with Melissa. Welcome to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, Melissa. Why don't you start by introducing yourself and letting everybody know a little bit about what you do?
1: Cool. Thank you for having me, Heidi. Uh, My name is Melissa Mendez of Melissa Mendez's. Design studio, and I have been in the apparel industry for um, over 10 years, well, in the corporate capacity, and I've been running my design studio for two and a half years.
0: Awesome. So I want to talk, um, you transitioned from the corporate world to the freelance design studio world, working for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely want to dive into that. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit more about the beginning of your career and how you even got started in the first place. So you went to FIT. Is that correct? Yes,
1: I and, did go to FIT. Yeah. And I also studied uh, fine arts at Parsons for uh, probably about two years.
0: Okay, cool. And so from FIT, what was your transition like from school into the corporate world? How did all that go down? how did you land your first job? how did you kind of get your foot in the door somewhere and get started?
1: Well, I'm a bit of a type A personality, um, semi embarrassed to admit that, but, um, FIT was like my first choice in schools. Um, and when I got accepted, I was like, I was super excited. So I did four years, um, as, uh, I studied production management, um, at FIT and I think I landed my first job still in school. Oh, <laughs> um, wow. so, yeah, so I graduated and I think like the next week I was working, um, so much for taking a year off and traveling. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I just went directly into the corporate world. Um, and if anybody knows FIT, they have a a great alumni and, and faculty that really helps you to land your first job.
0: Awesome. And so it was really through your network and your contacts through the educational infrastructure that got your foot in the door at your first opportunity. Absolutely. Okay, cool. And so, um, so you spent 10 years in the corporate world, and mm-hmm. was that all within one company?
1: Oh, no, 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 okay. no. <laughs> so tell Several us a little companies.
0: bit. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that journey and sort of how you went from from one thing to the next throughout those 10 years and what that was like.
1: Right. Okay. So, um, you know, as I mentioned, I started off while I studied in, uh, I studied production management so my first gig out of college was as um, an assistant production manager, and um, that lasted all of six months. <laughs> it was a very fast-paced, very high-stress um, position, and um, very different from a from school setting. And um, from there, I felt like I wanted to be a little bit more creative, so I transitioned from being a production manager to a technical designer. And um, I spent probably close to eight years um, as a TD, a technical designer, uh, throughout the apparel industry uh, at various companies and dealing with various categories such as uh, children's apparel, women's apparel, uh, ready to wear, cut and sew, and even some evening wear as well. yeah, so basically the idea for me was to climb the corporate ladder and to definitely get um, as much experience as I could, um, you know, amongst the different categories and different businesses, companies that were out there.
0: So you, like in your mind, you said, I just want to get like a broad experience base within different sectors of I mean, you focused on technical design, but within different children's, women's wear, you know, different um, product channels. And Mm -hmm. how did you, I mean, because one of the things I, I think can happen really easily is that designers can get very pigeonholed in what they do. And so you not only went from okay, I studied production management and that was my first job. And then within six months, I decided it wasn't the best fit for me. And -hmm. you transitioned into technical design. You then took that and you ran with it, working at Mm -hmm. a a variety of different brands. And like, how were you able to say, you know what, this is not my focus anymore. I want to pivot a little bit And how were you Mm -hmm. able to secure some of those opportunities when maybe that wasn't exactly what your background was? You didn't have that on your resume. You didn't have that in your portfolio. How did you um, uh, grab some of those opportunities?
1: Right. Well, uh, I would like to say it was a, you know, one key fits all, but it was good old fashioned hard work and determination and just kind of rolling with the punches. Um, You know, when you're at any job or any in any career, you definitely, Um, you communicate with other people, you speak to your peers, you also speak to people who've been in the industry for a little bit longer than you have, and you get advice, you get feedback. And, um, you know, throughout the years, me having a lot of that, um, you know, I kind of determined that this is something that, um, you know, I can make tweaks here or there. Um, And as far as leaving production and going into tech design, um, I think it was really just following my heart and knowing that I wanted to do something a little bit more hands-on, even though technical design is very um, involved with computers and and now with the industry moving forward, I mean, everything is just digital from pattern making to grading, I mean, everything. But um, at the time, technical design, you know, you were dealing with materials a little bit more. And this was going back 10 years ago, well, a little bit more than 10 years. um, When I first started, uh, you were dealing with patterns. I was at, you know, the, the pattern makers table with, with these, um, 60 year old men and women who've been doing it for 40 years, you know? Um, so it was really hands-on. Um, and, and at the time I felt like that was where my heart was, uh, drawing me, drawing me to, um, yeah. So I think, I think that's how I got to that point, um, in my career And, um, there, there was another point that was somewhat of a pivotal moment when I, um, I just kind of felt like my heart was calling me to do something bigger and grander and, and, you know, just to kind of be more creative. Um, I think it was maybe year five. I want to say I was working at a, a children's apparel company and, um, the amount of, I want to say, stress and, and workload and, and just feeling um, a bit detached from what I thought that I wanted to do and where I thought my heart was leading me. I had a huge anxiety attack. <laughs> um, and when I say huge, I mean like I thought I was having a heart attack and, you know, I had to go to the hospital and have all these tests run Um, like I couldn't breathe. It was just one of those, you know, experiences that really kind of like slaps you in the face and says like, wake up, you know, um, do you want to continue like this? Um, so from having that experience, you know, that anxiety attack, um, I started, you know, really examining myself, examining my heart, um, trying to find like a purpose. And I know that's like super cliche, but for me, it was, uh, a reality and something that I still live by. Um, another cliche, I started doing yoga <laughs> and, and meditation. And, and I say that, you know, jokingly, but, um, it really did save my life. And, you know, to this day, I still exercise those principles and in, in my everyday life and, and with clients. Um, but it, I love fashion. I always have loved fashion. And I always will. Um, I definitely invested a lot of my life in that industry. Um, but I think that at that point, I was awakened to the fact that I want to use my skills in a different capacity um, for something a little bit more self-fulfilling.
0: Which was starting your own design studio and not working in the corporate space, correct? Right. Right. And so, okay, so you had this, like, huge wake-up call, like, literally, like, a slap in the face of, like, <laughs> what is going on? I mean, I you yeah. say I had, like, such a big anxiety attack, you thought you were having a heart attack. Like, that's pretty intense. And oh, yeah. so it really makes you reevaluate everything that's going on. And so mm-hmm. from there, like, what were the the next steps you took to – say, I want to leave this role in the corporate world. It's not what's in my heart. It's not meant for me. And I want to start my Mm -hmm. own design studio. I want to do something for myself. Like, like if I, if if I, if you're talking to the listeners out here, um, -hmm. and they're maybe reson this is resonating with them, you know, they're stuck in some job that is really not fulfilling them. They're like, this corporate grind is not for me. I want to start freelancing i want to start my own design studio i want to do something more independent i'm i'm entrepreneurial type a little bit more like what are some of the action steps you took to help you transition from that to this completely different setup right um awesome all right so okay the the anxiety attack well
1: let me just say this is in no way a bash (laughs) to the fashion industries um but anybody who's like in the industries knows that it can be pretty intense I mean, I work with companies that, um, you know, people have actually had heart attacks in the office. Uh, one lady, like, passed out in the middle of the hallway. I mean, wow. like, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't just me experiencing this. It was just, that's just sometimes the nature of the beast. Um, and I was young and, and didn't really know how to, you know, deal with certain things, certain pressures at the time. So I think that that definitely contributed to. Um, me having that uh, experience at the time. Um, So to go back to your question, what I did was, um, I mean, I love podcasts, I love reading, and I feel like I've also, you know, I've always had this entrepreneurial spirit within me since I was, you know, really young. Um, So I just started trying to educate myself um, as much as I could through, 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 tapes and and seminars and and podcasts and and all of that and, and, you know, blogs and books um, to really find out the course that I wanted to take. Um, And I knew that I always wanted to be more creative. Um, I have a very creative background. Um, You know, as I mentioned, I was, I went to Parsons and, and that was just always something that was very true to my heart being creative um so I think around year year 10 or so I was like screw this I mean I didn't use those words but I was like, <laughs> I was like screw this I'm leaving um and so I devised this like grandmaster plan to freelance and um to take a course a continuing ed course at FIT which I had done throughout the years um because I just love FIT And so that's what I did. I put in my two weeks. Um, I was working for a huge company at the time, Macy's, you probably have heard of that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, so, so yeah, I put in my two weeks and I started freelancing. I had built some, you know, connections throughout the years. And also they have some really uh, phenomenal freelance agencies that you could, you know, go through to kind of get your feet wet and, and obviously get some income coming in Um, I live in New York city, so it's very expensive to live. So I knew that if I was going to quit my job, I needed something to, you know, supplement that my income while I figured out what I wanted to do. Um, so I did that I started freelancing. And, um, like I said, I went to FIT, took a course and, um, I just felt like my fire was like reignited. I felt alive again. And, um, A part of me, you know, having experienced some things that I I experienced in the industry, I was like, well, do I want to stay? Do I want to just, you know, completely do something different? And, you know, sometimes the universe or God or whatever it is you want to call it has a way of really reminding you of who you are. Um, So to really make a long story short, I was at the end of my um, course at FIT. And I received an email from a woman who was starting, uh, an apparel company and she saw some information about me online. Um, and she's like, you have extensive experience. Would you mind helping me, you know, as a, a coach or a consultant to really get my, my brand off, off the floor? Uh, and I was like, what? I was like, who is this woman? Is this like a scam? Like, I almost didn't believe it. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so we communicated back and forth for about a week or two and um, signed a contract. And that was my first client. Wow. Um, I didn't have a website up. I didn't have social media. I didn't have anything. And that first contract was like between four and $5,000. And it was amazing. Her line is doing very well today um and that kind of sparked within me the idea that I could um start something. I didn't know what to call it at the time, but I was like, "Oh, well, I could, you know, um share my experience with with startup apparel companies, help them get their lines off the ground, uh whether it's uh through production, through design development, through coaching, business plan, whatever." Um, I can use all those skills that I had learned and implemented throughout my career and and share them with these startup companies and, you know, maybe I can start something. And so that's how I started. And I I think I spent like $200 on my website and, and all of that. And from there, I just started getting more clients. And that's how my design studio was born, like literally
0: from that email. So wait, how did she find you? You said you didn't have a website or no social media. Like it, it sounds like it kind of literally fell in your lap, but it can How did, how did she get in touch with you? She found me through LinkedIn. Ah, okay. Okay. Yep. Interesting. She found yeah. me through LinkedIn. So you yeah. had your profile updated with all your experience and somehow mm-hmm. she tripped over that and sent you a contact and that mm-hmm. was it.
1: And that literally was it. Okay. Um, it, it was crazy. Yeah. and. Yeah. And I was like, I, I want to say a step away from leaving the industry. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was it was a beautiful aha moment. And I realized that, yeah, I could still be in the industry, but I could be here um, on my own terms at a capacity that I feel comfortable with um, and, you know, create my own schedule and things like that. So that's what I've been doing for the past two and a half years. And I had a son. So that makes things <laughs> even more amazing
0: yeah <laughs> I can that you get like to be home with him. him more
1: yeah exactly yeah.
0: yeah okay so so you got your first client through linkedin and then that was this i mean that was like an amazing win right at the very beginning mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. from there you still came and invest a little money i'm going to put up a website
1: mm-hmm. and
0: and from there how'd you grow how'd you get more clients i mean okay you had your website set up but then logistically right. like what you know it's Nowadays, it's like, okay, I can spend $12 a month on Squarespace and throw up a website. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But for people to find it, for people to inquire through that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it doesn't necessarily happen super organically. Mm -hmm. Um, So how how have you strategized growing that portion of your business, getting more clients to your website, getting more inquiries for work, landing more contracts? Mm
1: -hmm. Right. So... Um, during that class that I was taking, I met a woman who she worked exclusively in the freelance world. And I'm like, how are you eating dude? Like for real, this is New York city. Like, (laughs) how are you living? Like, I was so curious. So she, um, you know, I guess advised me or, or put me through, you know, this like networking thing that she was doing, which is basically like going to events, um, telling people what you do, Um, getting their contact information, and then, you know, seeing if it's a right fit to work with them. So initially, that's how I got clients through that, like, you know, old fashioned networking, uh, word of mouth, contacting people that I had known in the industry, like, hey, like, this is what I'm doing. Do you know anybody who needs these services, Mm -hmm. you know, technical design, um, you know, print surface design, and also um, coaching for startup apparel companies. So from there I got, you know, my first slew of clients and I was still freelancing at the time. So I want to, you know, say that because, <laughs> you know, it, it was definitely a process to build up the clientele that I have now. So I actually freelance for uh, about seven months to a year, the first year of my design studio while I worked on, you know, developing a pitch. Um, I worked on my email marketing, um, you know, specifically targeting companies that I felt like was a good fit for what I was doing. So um, I have extensive background in children's apparel and women's apparel. Um, so I targeted companies that was like in that space, and um, my business grew from email marketing, um, and that's how I sustain it today. I have some referrals and also email marketing.
0: Okay, cool. So I want to back up really quickly just to clarify because uh, depending on what industry people work in or depending on what uh, geographic location you're in, the term freelancing can mean very different things.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: in New York, in the fashion industry, it means something pretty specific. So tell us, tell us what that means. Because on one level you could say I'm freelancing, which to some listeners might sound like I'm working with clients, I'm totally doing my own thing. Mm-hmm. Versus in the New York fashion scene saying I'm a freelancer is a totally different thing.
1: Right. So when I say freelance in New York city, I'm referring to, you know, going into an office Monday through Friday, most, most of the time, um, uh, from nine to five or six or seven <laughs> or 10, <laughs> um, or midnight and basically working as, um, a support role for that business. So like if, um, so if I were to freelance today as a technical designer, they would want me to come in at this time and that time and basically um, support the current technical designers who are full-time there. Mm-hmm. So you're going into an office on a full-time, um, like 40-hour-a-week type of a situation, more or less, um, and you're not really – how do I say You're not really like, oh, well, I'm going in for a two-hour meeting here or there. Like that's not – for me, that's like being a consultant, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, I hope that that kind of clarifies, um, the difference between a freelancer in New York, you're still working at 40 hours a week, right. but you're more of a supportive role within that company. Um, you're not getting any benefits. Right. Um, you're, you're probably making a higher dollar amount per hour, but then again, you're not getting any benefits or any vacation or anything like that. And usually it's within like, I mean, I've done freelance for like three or four months at a time, but some people I know have done it for six, eight months, a year, you know, so it really just depends on the company where they're at, um, their business structure, um, and how long you feel comfortable working, you know, with, with that company. Um, some other companies let you work like three or four days, you know, in the office and like one or two days remote, whatever. Um, you know, so it really just depends.
0: Okay. So you're freelancing, which is essentially like a full time job, but you're not getting any of mm-hmm. the benefits. So you're still like mm-hmm. physically occupied forty plus hours a week, but you have mm-hmm. a base income for that, which is helping with stability. And in this on the side of that, you're starting to grow your other business and land your own clients, which are mm-hmm. um more under this like an agency umbrella that you're you've started. And you mentioned Um, I mean, you mentioned a couple things like you just kind of you went out to events and you talked to people and you met people and you let them know what you were doing and you made contacts that way and you utilized all the resources that you had within your network to reach out and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. Do you know anyone that needs any work done? And that Mm -hmm. built up a little bit of a base. And from there, you said you started doing some email marketing. So talk a little bit about that, because um, it's definitely a very powerful tool, but I think Mm -hmm. one that is overlooked um amongst designers who want to get out and go on their own Mm
1: -hmm. yeah I agree
0: yeah tell us about how you how you started that and and what are some of the strategies you've used to to use that tool to to help grow your business
1: so okay um I think that that um I guess what I want to say maybe courage bug you know grew within me from you know listening to um online entrepreneurs crush it, right? Um, I don't know if we can name drop here, but um there are quite a few that I really kind of swear by. Sure, share them uh, with us. Uh Pat Flynn, Smart mm-hmm. Passive Income, Jeremy and Jason uh from Internet Business Mastery. Um I also listen to my Teal from Curlbox, she's the founder of Curlbox. Um, I mean, Gary Vee, you know, like just so many people that are just going crazy, like they're just doing amazing right now. And so, um, I would say probably more from Pat Flynn and, um, Jeremy and Jason from internet business mastery. They really like their interviews, um, the people that they were interviewing on their podcast, they were just like email marketing, email marketing, email marketing. And I, I'm just like, why would I (laughs) randomly email somebody, you know, and say, well, I offer the service and, you know, do you need it? And this is how much I charge. Um, but there, there are ways that you can do that skillfully, um, and with, with finesse and not make it like super cold call, you know, like that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So what I did was, you know, I obviously did a few drafts, a few iterations and really um, designed a pitch around who I wanted to work with and just shared with them my experience in the industry, why I, you know, went out on my own and what services I could potentially provide to their business if they were interested. Um, So I, I crafted this pitch and I, you know, researched some companies that I thought were interesting. And, um, and then I just sent them an email. Um, So part of that was becoming educated from podcasts uh, a part of that might be me being a New Yorker and just being like, eh, well, what am I going to lose? They're just not going to open up the email, and, you know, <laughs> call it a day, move yes. on, you know. Um, and and I think another part of that was just being bold and brave. Um, you know, sometimes when you start a business, you don't know if it's going to succeed. This is actually my second business. Um, I My first business was a soy candle company, which... I kind of did like on a part-time basis throughout my, my, um, career in corporate apparel, uh, corporate fashion. And I learned a lot of lessons from that business. Um, I also learned when to let things go, when to, yeah, which is a beautiful lesson. Like, I feel like everyone is so afraid Oh my God, uh, if, if my business doesn't succeed, like I'm a failure, this is the worst thing ever. No, it really, like if you fail at something, that's the best lesson. And it's so humbling. And for me, it just taught me to, to just strive for higher things, for better things, to make improvements when I needed to. Um, and, and actually my, my candle business was doing very well. Um, and, and it was not, you know, I guess, failing by, by, you know, what people might consider failing. I was bringing income. Um, but I think that one of the things that stopped me from continuing on was when I got pregnant. Um, you know, I just knew that I didn't, I didn't want to continue making the candles and going to the trade shows and, and all of that. Um, so that kind of played a huge part and, um, And then I guess the the call of fashion or or that side of me was still very much alive. Um, So I just, you know, decided to start my design studio. Um, But definitely what I would say to anyone out there who um, has either had a business or uh, is wanting to start a business, um, just do it, Mm -hmm. you know, just do it. Um, it might fail. I know this is like cliche to, I mean, this is not you know cliche, but this is taboo to say, um, you know, start something, but it might fail. But if you think about it, we all start things that have the potential to fail, whether it's a relationship marriage, um, whether you're going to start a meal tonight, you don't know if you're going to burn that meal, but you're going to cook it. Right. <laughs> you know, like just, just go ahead and get it done and, and hope for the best. Um, and then do the uh, course correction, you know, as you see fit. Um, and that's pretty much how I live my life. I, I work hard. I do what I need to do. I become educated. I talk to people, you know, all that jazz. And, and I make course, course corrections when I need to. And I don't think twice about it because I'm human. I'm not perfect. And, um, nobody is, but there are so many imperfect people out here crushing it. So yes. why
0: can't I, <laughs> that's great. I love your attitude. It's great. I actually have a quote, um, on my, com- like one as a sticker on my computer it says doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. Mm. And it, my yoke, speaking of yoga, I also am a big yogi, <laughs> but um, nice. my, one of my yoga teachers said that in class and it really resonated with me and it's, um, mm-hmm. you know, Doubting that you could do something and not doing it is definitely going to kill the dream. But failing Mm -hmm. is not going to kill it. It just means, like you said, you have to course correct you to figure out why didn't that work? How can I do it Mm -hmm. better different next time to figure out a way that works? Um, Right. So, okay, so I love this because you went, like, outside of the fashion space, you went into more, like, business strategy space. And you you listed off a couple podcasts. And I'll list those in the show notes um, so everybody can take a look at those that you went Mm -hmm. to for – strategy of how to do this and you crafted this email pitch and then you started sending it out um would you be willing to like share and, and we don't have to share it right now on the show un- unless you mm-hmm. can get like unless you can kind of tout it off to me and if you know it well enough to just say it um mm-hmm. but if you could like either give us an example of that or or a little structure of like a how you fill that email pitch in that we could share in the show notes that would be a phenomenal resource for the listeners yeah sure um, Because I think that's something that's really scary for people is Mm -hmm. it's like, what am I am I just like emailing this company blindly? Like they don't have a job posting. Like what how do I know if Mm -hmm. they need my work? And there's some strategies you can go about to figure out what they might need your support with and how to actually position yourself when you present yourself to them. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'll actually go back to the email. You sent me an email asking to be on the show and it was crafted in such i mean i get a lot of emails asking for yeah. various things and yeah. i i don't get i don't have the time or the capacity to reply to all of them and some of them are are outlined and presented in a much better way than others and yours was presented in a way you you write out showed you showed me what value you could offer my listeners and why mm-hmm. you had the authority to do this and what you brought to the mm-hmm. table and i could tell by reading that that like you've done your homework and you knew what to say that would grab my attention. And so I can only imagine the same, you're doing the same thing with these clients, which is how you're landing some of these jobs. So I, I just, yeah. I, it's such a weird space for a lot of people. Um, so yeah. I'd love if you could share some of that. I don't know if you have, if you could talk about it off the top of your head right now, or if you want, if we can just share it in the show notes.
1: Um, yeah, sure. I can definitely talk about it, um, off the top of my head, but first, <laughs> Thank you for, for that compliment. I've actually gotten a lot of compliments on my pitch, which, um, I was like, what, you know, cause sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you like do something and like you give it your all, but then you're like, ah, oh, I don't know if this is going to be the thing, you know? Um, but again, like just do your homework, um, be true to yourself. And I feel like when the right thing is meant to happen, it will happen. Um, and I have been known to email people once a month you know, until I hear back from them, mm-hmm. <laughs> whether it is, no, I'm not interested, uh, whether it's, uh, yes, you know, I want to work with you next week or next month or whatever. Um, so that's definitely a key to, uh, just kind of throwing it out there is the follow-up when you do see an, send an email, definitely follow up, um, with that person if you don't hear from them. Cause oftentimes, you know, you send an email, people like, don't look at it and, you know, you're like, Oh my God, they don't like me. No, they just probably like overlooked it or, you know, they got busy and forgot about it. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. So my, my email pitch, basically, you know, what I have found is that within my space, um, you know, I definitely target women's apparel and children's apparel. I find that being straightforward is my key. I, I know it's not for everybody. I know like some of these, you know, internet ninjas have, you know, catchy titles and all of that. I don't, I just get straight to the point. Like these are my services (laughs) and, um, you know, this is, this is what I offer. So basically I start by saying, you know, hi, so-and-so, whether I have the contact person, you, you can easily find that online or, uh, the brand name, you can find that online as well. Um, I like to send intentional pitches, which means that I, basically do a little bit of research on the company first. And, um, I, you know, know what their style is. Like I know if they're trendy, um, if they're more classic, um, you know, what is their thing? Um, and I always include a compliment in the pitch. Um, I think flattery goes a long way. Obviously you want to be genuine about your flattery. It's not, you know, being fake or being, or, or lying or anything like that. Like, You know, I usually say, hey, like, I really love your, you know, 2017 collection, your floral print. I think it speaks to femininity, blah, blah, blah. Um, And then I say, you know, I've been following you. I've been looking at your work for two weeks, two months, a year, whatever it was that I did my, you know, research, whatever that duration of time was. Um, And then from there, I tell them a little bit about myself, my experience, and um, I include you know, some, some strengths within my, um, you know, I guess experience, uh, things that I do well, things that I've been doing for a while, technical design, prints, you know, production, uh, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, sometimes I include, um, you know, articles that may have featured me in the past. Um, that always is good to include because it kind of validates who you are. Um, you know, as a professional, people want to know that you, Um, know what you're doing. And obviously that could be put on your testimonial page. But if the person doesn't have time to really go to your website at the moment, you can just include a quick little link and they can say, oh, well, this person was featured on this blog or, or this, you know, write up, whatever. Um, And then, you know, I just kind of always close it with um, a call to action, which basically is inviting them to follow up or get back to me if they're interested. Um, so that's the general uh format of my pitches. Um I'll definitely give you um, you know, like the more maybe like a template or something like that, or I'll refer you back to my site where I'll put it um, okay, so people can kind of like go on and, and check it out. Um, yeah, but that's pretty much it and and it's it's definitely customizable. Um, I would recommend that you customize it to, you know, say 20 people that you really want to get in touch with. Um, and and when you do that, you definitely increase your odds of hearing back from that business. Um, again, follow up is key. Uh, never be too ashamed or embarrassed to do so. Like I said, I've done it, you know, once a month, you know what I mean? Um, but, you know, you can do it once every two months or every three months, whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, And you'll definitely, definitely see at least one person respond back to you. And sometimes that's all you need. Like, I remember one year, wasn't my first year or second year? I'm not sure. But one year, um, you know, I sent out all my pitches and I got a reply. And one client, I made like $15,000. Oh, my God. That's
0: amazing.
1: Yeah. You know, so this stuff works and, you know, just, just be confident in who you are. We all face like that imposter syndrome, like, Oh my God, like I may not be good enough or whatever. Um, but what I like to say is, you know, definitely rise to the occasion. If you don't know something, you know, seek advice. Like if you know someone else in the industry that might know that thing, call them up, send them an email, like, don't be too, you know, prideful or whatever to, to ask questions. Um, and you'll knock that project out of the park.
0: I love that. A couple things that you said that are just awesome is, um, well, first of all, is the realization that maybe only out of those 20 pitches you send out, you could land Mm -hmm. one and, and that's amazing. You don't need 15 of them. You don't need a really high conversion rate. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you do get three out of 20 or five out of 20, but sometimes just that one is, is what you need right in that moment. And, and Mm -hmm. that's phenomenal. Congratulations on that huge success with that big contract. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And then the other thing too, and this is something I've, I've um, talked with other people about is, and I think it it gets easier the older we get. Um, I don't know how old you are. I'm in my mid thirties. And I know that the older I've gotten, the easier it is to be humble and ask questions and realize it's okay to not know everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that when you're younger and you first are starting out in the industry, you feel a lot of pressure to know everything. Mm-hmm. If you ask a question, well, what if I'm going to look like I'm stupid or, um, right? you know, but that's not the case. It's such no, a it's crazy not. industry and there's so many different mm-hmm. aspects that, yeah, if you don't know how to do it, be humble and it's okay. Go out and ask how to do it and figure mm-hmm. it out.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely agree with that. Um, one thing that I would add, like I probably two things. So for me, I like to surround myself with people who, um, are like, who are nice people, you know what I mean? (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, I think that that's definitely key to surround yourself with people who don't make you feel like an idiot, Mm -hmm. you know, because Mm -hmm. we all experience times that, you know, we don't know something. So that's like definitely a huge, um, uh, factor in my life that I, that I use on every scale, whether it's Uh, in my personal life and also in my professional business life. Mm -hmm. Another thing, um, when it comes to asking questions, I think that sometimes it's not about you asking the question that makes like, you know, people feel or me or you feel uncomfortable, but it's the way you ask it. So when I ask a question, um, I generally start off by saying like, um i'm trying to think of an, an example that would be clear um all right so let's let's talk about like a hip curve right <laughs> it's like super long thin skinny so so you have a yardstick here and you have a hip curve and you don't know which one is which so what i would say if i if i'm going to and this is like totally elementary like fashion 101 <laughs> but <laughs> um if I didn't know the difference, I would go to someone who's senior to me, right? I would bring both of them with me. And I would say, gee, I'm wondering which one is the hip curve. I know that it's long, it's thin, but I can't quite remember which one it is at the the point at the time. So then they would point to either the hip curve or the yardstick. Most likely they'll point to the actual hip curve unless they're playing games with you, (laughs) which is not too bad. But um, the point is, is that I would come prepared, right? I would have the actual hip curve in my hand and the yardstick. I would express that I understand some portion of it, which is that a hip curve is actually long and thin, right? So you have the two Mm -hmm. things right there in front of you. And then I would then ask the question, which one is it? So that's me coming into it with some type of knowledge, um, of what I want to kind of get out of the situation. I'm not just like coming with a tape measure, like, Oh, what, what, what does a hip curve look like? And, and, um, what do you use it for? Like, you know, I think how you position a question, um, definitely tells that person who you're asking that you have some knowledge about it, that you are, um, you know, you, how do I put it? You're not just like all willy-nilly about it, um, if that makes any sense at all.
0: It actually makes a tremendous amount of sense. And what I kind of like – what I can relate it back to is – I mean I think you can relate it all the way to when you're working with your clients and doing the research first. So it's, Absolutely. Not, it's not just – I mean, if you're asking a question from somebody to try learn something, it's not just you asking the question and you expecting them to do all the work and just to deliver it to you on a silver platter. You mm-hmm. did your re- you did as much research as you could to get as far as you could, um, yep. and and you presented it to them and you showed listen, I've spent a little time on this and, 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 obviously with your example, you could have Googled it and you could have gotten the answer, but if it were something a little bit more, um, like a, a subjective type of question, um, mm-hmm. that you really couldn't maybe find the answer on the internet or you found mixed reviews, but you could go to them and you say, you know what, I did some research on this. And, and I read a little bit, some people are saying this and some people are saying that. And I'm, I'm just curious, like in your experience, what what is the best route to go because then it it shows that you put some effort in and that's important it's a two-way street um when you're trying to learn and it's also a two-way street when you're working with your client like you're there to serve your client and you can't approach them blindly like you have to approach them like you said when you send out these pitches you research the brand and even if it's only for two weeks and they're a new brand to you you you're, you're honest and humble about that but you do enough research that you can Talk to them in a tone and and talk about things that are relevant to them that make sense. And it shows that you're not just sending this blind pitch out to everybody. Right, right.
1: Absolutely, 100%.
0: Um, I
1: do know people who do send blind pitches out. And um, that's a whole other uh, approach yeah. um, with a definitely a lower conversion rate. Mm-hmm. But I think that as a startup business or even a business that's been around for a little while, it's, it's definitely important to um, try out both and see what works for you at, one, at what periods. Yeah. Um, I know that, you know, the apparel industry definitely has, you know, ebbs and flows, uh, you know, especially with the uh, development, calendar, production, like all of that. So if you're in it for a little bit, you can kind of gauge when certain companies might need certain services. Mm -hmm. So like if I'm pitching someone for my design studio for the, you know, my textiles and prints and things like that, I would pitch them at a different time of year versus when I would pitch them for um, my technical design services, Mm -hmm. because, you know, design and development come way before actually creating that tech pack, Mm -hmm. breaking down how to, you know, how to make a garment, what are the specs, you know, construction, all of that and then, uh, the production. So strategy, information, uh, you know, knowledge, definitely do your research. It goes far. And, and going back to the, the question, the, um, going back to, you know, asking questions, I think when you approach someone in that way, you don't feel, um, like you don't, like you don't feel inadequate at that point. Like you Mm -hmm. feel like I did this, I did my research and now I'm going to, Ask for a little bit more help, and that's okay.
0: Yeah, it's. Um, I'll, I'll make one more comparison, then I want to move on. I have another question, um, but I I get a lot of emails in my inbox that ask me one sentence questions about how to do something that I have a tutorial on on my site. And if you googled one keyword, or I'm sorry, <laughs> if you searched one keyword using the right. search on my site, you would have found it in like point two seconds. And those mm. emails drive me nuts because I'm like, you didn't even take the effort. To to right. do this little bit of work. Now then I get other emails where people ask a very well thorough thought out question. They're say, Hey, I watched all three of your tutorials on A, B, and C, mm-hmm. but I couldn't figure out how to do X, Y, and Z. I searched, I didn't see anything. You know, could you give me some tips on that or could you add that to your video list? And those emails right. I love getting. So right. and that doesn't take that much more work. No, um, it doesn't. But it goes it really doesn't it goes so far in whatever you're doing when you're trying to approach someone cold meaning you don't mm-hmm. have a, a prior relationship you didn't get an introduction um right. so i love that so i want to go back to um i mean you had that one email you sent out like, roughly 20 pitches you got you closed one deal for fifteen thousand dollars and mm-hmm. um you don't have to talk specific numbers but like how do you price your projects do you charge by the hour do you charge by project does it depend because this is a question a lot of designers have And I think most designers, um, most designers that I've talked to in this space tend to undercharge. Right. Um, So talk to us a little bit about your pricing structure and strategy and how that works for you.
1: Okay, sure. Well, when I first started out, um, I definitely charged hourly because I didn't really know what to charge. Um, What I went off of, which was the standard, it was the standard New York City um, freelance rate per hour. Um, that was what I generally charged. Now I charge things. Um, well, depending, it really does depend on, on the project. Um, I charge per project. So I get details from, you know, my client, uh, what is it that they're asking for? Um, so for instance, if they need help with 20, uh, silhouettes, I'm not going to charge them the same price as someone who needs 40 silhouettes. So I need to get a project breakdown first before I quote them. Um, so that's one way. Um, another way, um, I do still charge hourly and I know some people are like, "Oh my god, why do you charge hourly?" But no, this is this is the thing. <laughs> I've learned my lesson. If I if I charge hourly, which is a rare occasion, I have a base set of hours that I'm working. So if I'm, I'm just going to throw a random number out here. Mm -hmm. Um, this is not what I charge, but let's say I charge, you know, $70 per hour. Um, my minimum, you know, in a, in a hypothetical world would be 10 hours or 20 hours, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So they know going into this project that I'm not going to get paid for less than 10 hours or 20 hours, whatever the agreement is based off of what they want. Okay. Um, so that sets a base price for me. And even if I do work, like, let's just go off of, you know, the 10 hour thing. If I work seven hours, um, you're going to be charged for 10 hours. That's just the understanding that we have. Um, now that I'm a little bit more experienced, I mean, I do get I wouldn't say that one glove fits all, and and I don't want to give that give that impression at all because especially starting out, like you know, uh, you want to get gigs where you can, and and I do think it's important to get different types of of clients and, and projects because you really start to develop an understanding of who you want to work with, how you like to work, you know what what are you comfortable with charging. You know, and that could be based off of your location. If you live in New York, obviously you're going to charge more than if you live in um, maybe Florida or something like that, where the cost of living is not that, um, is not as much as New York. And also most of the times clients are not going to be willing to pay New York prices. Mm -hmm. That's just the reality of the situation. Um, you know, so definitely get your experience, um, you know, start off with the hourly, uh, see if that works for you. I would recommend if you do hourly to, um, have a base set of hours, five hours, 10 hours, 20 hours, whatever it is you feel comfortable with based off of that project. Mm -hmm. And then once you kind of get into the flow of things, you develop an understanding of how long it takes you to do this, how long it takes you to do that. And then you can create packages around that. Um, you know, if you're going to be traveling on site to some meetings, you might want to throw in a few, you know, I mean, extra um, you might want to invoice for that. So it, it really does depend, um, on your situation. It's not a, you know, one glove fits all. I still do hourly. Um, and I also do project based as well.
0: Mm -hmm. That's great. So much great advice in there. I love the idea of, um, sort of coming to a mutual agreement on the minimum number of hours for that project. Um, that way as, as a, uh entrepreneur as a business owner you have a base idea of what you can get out of that project at a minimum right and it helps you right. plan a little bit um, it does
1: it does but you know again like if you're like been you've been doing this for 10 years or whatever charging hourly for maybe um a larger scale project might not work for you right because if you're like charging 60 dollars an hour and you're like you know super fast at at drawing CADS then you're really cheating yourself at the end. So that's what I mean when I say it's it's definitely um, a case-by-case case, um, based off of, of your level of experience and, um, you know, whatever the project is, the, the details of the actual project.
0: Yeah, that's something I say a lot, too, is um, you... Sometimes charging by value, meaning charging by project, it can be a better route to go because let's say you're really fast at doing graded specs or you're really fast at tech mm-hmm. packs, you're really fast in Illustrator. You can only charge so much per hour to do that work. But if you charge a mm-hmm. lump sum price for that project, the client doesn't need to know how many hours it took you because if you're really fast, mm-hmm. that's they're really paying for what they get and the reason you're fast is because you've spent time and years and energy getting fast and getting good absolutely and you're getting rewarded for that in the long run which is absolutely. where you can get cut short on the hourly rate um so i totally right. I, I agree with you and and i tend to go more project-based as well because of those reasons um mm-hmm. that is awesome um so many actionable steps here and i'm really excited to check out the um email template that you're so generously willing to share with everybody. So that will definitely be in the show notes as well as links to the podcast um, and and your website and all that stuff. Um, I want to close with um, the question I ask everybody at the end and it tends to stump people. So feel free to think about it for a second. (laughs) (laughs) But um, what is one question that you always wish people would ask you about working in the fashion industry but never do ask?
1: Awesome. Well, that's a great question. Um, so one of my, uh, more recent coaching clients, um, so, you know, I, I'm working with this startup apparel company and, uh, they are looking to develop their line. They have no fashion experience whatsoever. Um, and, and one of the, one of the things that they always think, like you said, is that I am, in stilettos every day, all day, <laughs> uh, running around the city with my latte in my hands, um, you know, full face makeup, all the Chanel perfume. Um, and sometimes that happens. I will say sometimes that happens, but 90% of the time I am in my PJs at home with, um, milk from my son, <laughs> like all over <laughs> myself, <laughs> Um, and, and it's very technical. It's, it's very technical. I am on the computer a lot, whether it's creating, um, you know, technical packages, tech packs, uh, specs, um, you know, working, um, on a computer system with grading, whether it's doing CADs, it, it's very, it's work. Let me just say it's work. Um, I go to fashion shows not a lot. <laughs> um a lot of people are like, "Oh, do you go to fashion shows like every season?" And uh. no, I don't. I go, but not every season and not um, you know, it, it it's just a lot of work. Um but if you if you love it, it'll be the right work for you. Um and one thing I tell all of my my coaching clients is that you got to put the work in. Like nothing is going to fall from the sky. Mm-hmm. And um you will have your glamorous moments and, and that's fun. You know, just like sometimes you'll see on Instagram, someone's like on the beach and, you know, with the, the, uh, margarita, that's fine. But is that their everyday life? No. Um, so definitely being uh, a realist, I think that that gets you through the, some, the, the, challenging times like dealing with your, your bookkeeper, Um, and your accountant and getting taxes out and, (laughs) and and all those things. So, I mean, I hope that like answers your question. Like, I guess, I guess what I would say is that, um, you know, if someone were to ask me, uh, is fashion how it looks on TV or something like that, I would just say,
0: no, (laughs) (laughs) no. Yeah. Yeah, I love. That. I got yeah. such a great visual of you running around the city in your stilettos with your latte. <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it happens, but not not frequently. And my yeah. feet kill me after that. Yeah. Like, oh my god, why I, I do that. that? I love that. Yeah.
0: Okay, <laughs> Melissa, this has been so great. Um, so tell everybody where can people find you. Awesome. Well,
1: they can find me online at melissa dot com. Um, I also have a podcast that I started recently, uh, which is called women crafting success.com, um, where, you know, women, um, entrepreneurs from all different, uh, backgrounds can come and, and gather around and, and um, uh, just get information, um, on a, in a way and, in, in a language that women understand.
0: That's great. I'll definitely put links to both of those in the show notes as well. Um, awesome. All right, so, um, and then to just wrap it up, is there anything else you're working on that you'd like to share with everybody?
1: Yeah, awesome. Well, I am working on um, coaching startup apparel companies. Um, Through my design studio, I've worked with a lot of uh, corporate clients, um, but in a a different setting, me being a consultant and um, some startup companies. And what I really learned is that Um, there are a lot of small brands out there that don't know where to start. They have no idea about the apparel industry um, and they're really hungry for advice. So um, I've kind of expanded my brand to helping um, individuals who are looking to start uh, women's apparel, children's apparel um, and just need knowledge about it. And so you could just head to my website and, and check that out. Um, perhaps we can schedule a quick 15 minute chat and see if we're a right fit for each other or just kind of hang out.
0: Yeah. Awesome. I love that. I love that. Um, and it's such a great space you're filling in working with these brands. There's so many amazing designers out there that have all these awesome ideas, but, um, need a little bit of extra support when it really comes to the logistics of getting something mm-hmm. off the ground and into production. Right. And you have such a great breadth of skill and experience in that. Um, so yes, everybody, again, that link, um, to Melissa's site where you can find out more about who she is, what she's doing and how she can help you will be in the show notes, Melissa Mendez design Thank you so much, Melissa, for chatting today. This has been phenomenal and such a great treat having you on and, and thanks for sharing all the awesome insights, um, everybody to, to take away and implement in their own careers.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Heidi, for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to episode two of the Successful Fashion Designer podcast. If you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash two. And since you made it this far, you must have liked the episode. If you can take 60 seconds to leave a review on iTunes, it helps the show a lot and makes the podcast easier for people to discover. It's super easy to do, and I'd really appreciate it. Visit sfdnetwork.com slash review to leave your rating and thanks for your support and help.